Hi folks, I'm Wound Care Karen and this is part two of the history of nurses. So make sure you've listened to part one first. Okay, here we go. We're going to pick up right where we left off. Okay, so all right, let's move forward to 1836. A pastor and his wife in Germany, they were inspired by the story of Phoebe from the Bible. Right? So we talked about her. Back to Phoebe. Right? Back to Phoebe. And so they opened up a deaconess house. Okay. And it was to train females in pastoral care, which was also, again, nursing care at the time. Because, again, Christianity, taking care of each other's. Okay, okay, okay. Yes. So in exchange for tuition, the students simply pledged five (gasps) years of service. Wow. And get this. Guess who took her training there? Please tell me it's our Our Lady of Care, Miss Nightingale. Flo, this is where Florence Nightingale received her training. It was in Germany. So um, it took off. So many more deaconess schools then followed. Mm -hmm. And so this is when, you know, the actual like practice, the professional practice Mm -hmm. of nursing started to evolve into the profession of nursing. Thank you, Flo. She really systemized. She had the right kind of mind at the right kind of time to systemize something. And she was fearless. Yes, yes, she was. And so let's talk about flow. All right. So this brings us to like the 1850s. Okay. And because of Florence Nightingale, yes. it, this is what considered the birth of modern nursing, yeah. right? And by no means do we think that Flo was like the saintly, spotless, you know, person. No one is. No, she, if you no want to come at us and be like, well, she did a lot of bad shit. Yeah. And so did you. Okay. <laughs> right. So stop it. Right. So let me tell you a little bit about Florence. She was born into a wealthy British family, uh-huh. but she actually shunned the traditional Victorian female role. Yep. Right. And like I said, she attended nurses training in Germany, mm-hmm. but because of her birthright and her political contacts, and, you know, her networking because <laughs> of her dad and all that. It's who you know. She, yeah, Exactly. So she was respected and she actually had a voice. So during the Crimean War in 1854, Florence actually wrote to England's war office and offered her services. Wow. The cojones, right? Wow. Like, you won't let me fight? Let me heal on the front lines. Oh, my gosh. Amazing. So, again, because of her birthright, her connections, she was allowed to take 38 volunteer nurses (gasps) and 15 nuns. Wow. She took them to Crimea. Yeah. And then when they arrived there, she was shocked to find that, you know, medicines were in short supply, conditions yeah. were dark Filthy. and cramped and horrible hygiene. Yeah. Infections were rampant, mm-hmm. usually fatal, right? So so she immediately started like airing out the facilities, cleaning yes. them, implementing hand washing. Which she got so much shit for the oh, hand washing yes. and the cleaning of the bandages, she insisted. Yes. And these physicians, frontline physicians, Goffed. Yes, they scorned she, her. They didn't. They're like, what? What you're talking about? So what did she do? She became the first nurse informatics yes scientist. Yes, love it. So she went around and she proved proved it with data. Yes, you can't deny the data. Yes, and that's what turned the whistle on. Turn the whistle. I just made that up. <laughs> <laughs> turn the page on the whole hand washing thing and the cleaning of the bandages. Yes. Isn't that things that By we using just scientific science. <laughs> Science. 
Yeah. So again, because of all that, death rates sharply declined. Yep. They could no longer ignore her. Her popularity and political power grew. And sh- so she wrote a book. Of course she did. Yes, it's she did. It's called Notes on Nursing. And yes, that was in 1859. Whoop, whoop. And so again, this is probably when the term nurses and nursing became mm-hmm. a lot more popular. And she, and so Florence herself opened her first nursing school in 1860 in London. And I love this. It was one of the first secular nursing yes. schools. Yes. Right? Up until then, nursing training was always associated with churches. Yes. One church or another. Right. Because the churches had the money. Yes. And, and they again, had the mission. I, I was going to say, yeah, again, all part of the Christian mission. I get that. That That's awesome, too. Yes. But this, so this was the first secular school. Right. Right. Oh, that's amazing. So this is just to, to another anecdote. Oh, here we go. <laughs> From nursing school. And this is, again, back to the LVN school, because this is like my, I had no previous medical training or mm-hmm. exposure. So on orientation day, they said, if you know anything about nurse Florence Nightingale, I'm going to tell you basically what she told her students in her nursing school. If you're not married, don't get married. If you're not pregnant, don't get pregnant. If uh, if you're not being courted, don't. <laughs> This, this, your life from here on out is nursing and nothing but. So, and right. and that's what she did, and that's what we still do. Like when you're, that's the kind of investment, personal investment that is expected mm-hmm. when you enter into nurse training. Mm-hmm. Not wild. I mean, just from the 1800s, mid 1800s, even to today, it's the same thought. <laughs> All right, enough with my anecdotes. Um, so, what's interesting around this time period that you're talking about? Mm-hmm. Um, in, in that parallel, here in the United States, there's the Civil War that's ah, broken out, right? Yes, yes. So um, women had broken barriers by leaving the home and crossing front lines to take care of the men. Again, just right? naturally. Yes, yeah, again, yes. Not because not they were nurses, not because they went to no. nursing school, simply because, oh my gosh, my brother's on the field, my husband's on the field, my neighbor's on the field. Right. I got to go take care so of them. So those who didn't have children or whatever, mm-hmm. the, somebody had to stay home. This is homesteading times, right? True, yes. So yes. somebody had to stay home and tend to the homestead and tend to the children and tend mm-hmm. to the, the men who couldn't go to the front lines, but the women who could did. Yes. Yes. And uh, that's that was that's remarkable in and of itself. So in that way, that's the parallel of the women breaking those frontline barriers. Right. And um, from that, uh, even though there were that there was that longstanding um, nursing school in Canada, still mm-hmm. at this time in the Civil War, there's no nursing schools in the United States. Right. Right. So a teacher by the name of Clara Barton uh, became known as the Angel of the battleship, Battlefield. Oh. And after the war, she spearheaded the American Red Cross. I love that. Don't you love that? I love it because it, and again, it speaks to the mission of teachers too. So here she is a teacher. She's an educator. Literally stepped into the role of nurse. Right. Well, because they're all caregivers, right? Exactly. I keep stealing your words. (laughs) <laughs> called Angel the Battlefield. I love that. And then, yeah, so she's the mother of the American Red Cross. So she's our, like, flow from, you know, yes. on this side of the she's pond. She's our American Florence. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> love it. <laughs> so, and just like Florence Nightingale, Clara Barton demonstrated that the idea of nursing was more than just care at the bedside, mm-hmm. although she did prove that too. Mm-hmm. Um, nurse leadership can be a strong force in social and health reform. Mm-hmm. And uh, women of color, whoops, this, I got excited because I'm talking about women of color <laughs> here. <laughs> women of color became nurses too. Mm-hmm. In fact, the U.S. Navy enlisted five black women to serve as nurses uh, aboard the hospital ship uh, U.S. Red Rover. Wow. 
that is uh, so in the Civil War, yeah. five yeah. black women were enlisted right. in the Navy. Look at all of the different ways black wow. women were used during this period. So we have these legitimate roles where nurses, black women are being trained as nurses and yes. being utilized in these very established and distinguished ways. And it's hard work. Yes. But on that same during that same time, because we were just talking about how midwifery was taken away from women. Mm-hmm. And guess who was experimented on to come up with what is a lot of modern gynecological mm-hmm. uses is black women, yes. enslaved black women mm. with no anesthesia because, mm. oh, they don't feel anything. Women women don't feel anything. And so like that is just such a crazy wide dichotomy of practices right. all during the same period of time. I know, I know. You know what I mean? Yes. But it's all it all kind of has bundled together to be this movement that provided the momentum for the, a lot of the reform, political and social and healthcare yes. reform that we've seen come out of this from black women and white women and yes. everyone in between women in general. Yes. All right. So with that, in 1872, the Women's Hospital of Philadelphia opened the first nursing school in the U.S. Many more nursing schools followed. Okay, so the first nursing school in the United States was 1872. In Philly. Okay. Right? Love it. The city of brotherly love, is that the right one? That's where my mom went to school. Really? Oh. Yes. yes, cool. Um, And at first... American nursing schools were restricted to white female Christian applicants. Okay. Are we surprised? (laughs) They had to uh, live at um, the nurse dorm Mm -hmm. and remain single um, and were expected to remain chaste. Remember the thing? If you're not... Yeah. Right. All that. (laughs) Um, uh, Throughout their service, they they had these very stringent expectations Mm -hmm. on themselves. Mm -hmm. And the New England Hospital and Training School actually allowed one African-American applicant and one Jewish applicant per year. So, like... Okay. That's uh, what do they call that? A mer- uh, early affirmative action, there I guess, you go. right? Yes. <laughs> a, a very small quota to oh fill is what boy. I call it. Oh boy. Okay, you whatever you may somewhere. think, you, whatever you may think of that particular piece of policy, it's something. Yeah. At that time, anyway, revolutionary. And in 1897, Mary Eliza Mahoney became the first um, African American to graduate from a professional nursing school. Oh, and, awesome. Yeah. Unfortunately, okay. the name of the first Jewish graduate has been lost to history. Oh. I know. Okay. Well, unfortunately. So even though her actual name is lost to history, you know, her, her legacy lives on. For yeah, sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. But get this. In 1886, Spelman Seminary... It later became Spelman College cool. in Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah. It opened the first nurses' school for African-American females. Love it. I love that so love much. it. And then in 1888, the first all-male nurses' training started <gasps> at Bellevue Hospital in Stop. New York. I had no idea. That's so cool, right? Because uh, our brothers in, nurses, in nursing mm-hmm. need some, you know, they need some shout-outs. Uh, yes. They've... they've uh, have their own unique uh, story to tell, and it's valuable. Agree, yeah, yeah. I mean, their their history rides alongside ours, but yes, they have their own unique um, yeah uh, challenges for yes. sure. So, in the eighteen late eighteen hundreds, cities started funding nursing missions to go into the homes of the poor and to take care of the sick. Uh, this uh, quote unquote home health, ah. uh-huh, uh huh. This home health movement continued to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
and this may be a familiar name to our nursing uh, buddies out there, especially if those of us who are, or those of you who are still in nursing school and, and learning about the history. Um, Lillian Wald coined the term public health nurse mm-hmm. and championed many health reforms, including school nurses and insurance for home health care. Love it. So, you know, uh, as a matter of fact, just a patient today in the clinic, um, he said, back in the good old days, the nurses and the doctors would come to your house and do all this, and I could just feel comfy, and they would just take care of everything. So this is, you know, even though we have home health structures today, this is a different time where, you know, call the the health care was done in the home. Yes. Yes, and so that's this is in, this is incredible that even then the these uh, initiatives were being born and championed mm-hmm. by the, uh, Lillian Wald. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, more and more hospitals were growing mm-hmm. um, as more people moved from farms and uh-huh. outlying areas into the city. So what does that talk to? The industrial revolution. Gotcha. Right. Yes. So okay. um, these were a direct result of the industrial revolution. Cities were growing as more people moved and all of these city hubs were happening. And when you have a great congregation of people, you have a great contagion thing. You know, people are passing around um, food and they're passing around germs. Mm -hmm. Right, they're (laughs) living on top of each other. Hygiene is poor. Exactly. Sanitation, all of that. Mm -hmm. So the passage of workmen's uh, compensation laws in the early 1900 changed the focus of industrial nursing from merely caring for sick employees at home to preventing illnesses and treating injuries on site. Because how else is a company going to keep its workers? Right, yeah, like (laughs) and make sure that their bottom line is being met. You can't keep the assembly line going if the people are out sick all the time. Right. Or dropping dead in the factories, you know. So it was their corporate way of... you know, investing or into their own investment. And a lot of these um, names like uh, Carnegie and Mm -hmm. Rockefeller were at the forefront of that. So we can see all these um, institutions that have their names on it and and, Mm -hmm. uh, charitable funds that have their names. But it was born out of the Industrial Revolution wanting to protect their investments. And they did it with um, um, charity and altruism, what what appeared to be so. But we benefited. Yes, we did. And and I'm sure there were charitable times and altruistic uh, times. I'm sure, you know, it, it, I don't think it was all greed. I don't no, think it was no. all corporate greed. I think part of it, just like what we were talking about for it was a calling, like it was an expectation if you were in this particular set of, mm-hmm. you know, uh, tier of society, mm-hmm. if you were extraordinarily wealthy, what was expected of you was to also be charitable. Yes. So in the late 1800s and early 1900s, we also saw the establishment of two nursing organizations, okay? These were the early incarnations of the uh, National League of Nursing and the American Nurses Association. Oh, okay. Yeah, so the Spanish-American War was in 1898, Mm. and... a female physician, Dr. Anita Newcomb McGee, was tasked to head the Army Nurse Corps Division oh. of sur- of the Surgeon General. How cool is that? Oh, so, like, so not only of. did they start a nursing corps, but they had a female headed up. You, I mean, bet. a female physician, but still cool. Uh, so we've got a female physician. Yeah. 
right? In the late 1800s, mind-blowing in itself. Right. Right? And she's tasked to head up a whole division. Wow. A new division. Yeah, inaugural. Right. So cool. I mean, just totally glass ceiling shattering kind of stuff. Yes. Amazing. Awesome. So that was the actual start of the nursing corps in the military. Right. Right. That's so cool. Right. Which many men and women have, you know, come out Mm -hmm. of and made great strides. Yes. All right, so continuing on in the early 1900s, this is when individual states, you know, in the U.S. here, this is when we started forming our own nurses' association Mm -hmm. because they were trying to establish occupational standards or Mm -hmm. professional standards Mm -hmm. and regulate licensure, okay? Mm -hmm. So nursing leaders, they were eager to legitimize the profession of nursing in the eyes of the public, and they wanted to improve educational standards and raise the quality of professional nursing right yeah so makes sense north carolina was the first state they passed the nurse registration act oh how cool is that? And wow. then that was followed by New York, New Jersey, uh-huh. and Virginia. Um, but unfortunately, older nurses who hadn't necessarily kept up with current, uh, you know, techniques, or students who had attended schools that were below average standards, they were afraid that these registration acts would be too strict I and see. would prevent them from obtaining work. So actually, some of them left the state. Oh, right. You know, okay. they were threatened. They felt threatened. Right. I they see. were concerned. So in 1908, Mary Eliza Mahoney, she started the. National Association of Colored Graduate Nurses. Oh, I love and it. She did it because at the time, the American Nurses Association was segregated. They did uh-huh. not allow black nurses in. So so she started her own association, Damn right? right? Damn right. And because of her movement, then it eventually helped to desegregate the military nursing corps in wow. World War II. Wow. And then finally... Wait, in, are in, you telling me? Okay, what are the dates? Because right? it, I don't think schools in like public schools were desegregated at that time no not in 45 no 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 Whoa. no absolutely not no right so that's in the 40s, bananas yeah so Trailblazer. in the 1940s she helped desegregate the military nursing corps. amazing and so then finally in 1949 the american nurses association finally desegregated Amazing. Um, In 1909, the University of Minnesota Mm -hmm. opened the first university-based nursing school. Okay, so up until then, all nursing schools were hospital-based, right? Uh Uh-huh. You know, feeding their own, right? Yes, yes, like we have that now. That's where I went to school, the (laughs) hospital-based diploma program, right? So, but in 1909, the first, you know, you know, the first in the in the United States um, opened the first university-based nursing school. So through a like a quote-unquote legitimate uh, educational or institution. Yes, again, just a different educational path. Yes, this this time through a school instead of a a hospital. Well, I wonder what that did to legitimize the the career path of nursing profession. Wow. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so in 1920, uh, someone named Ludie Andrews, she successfully sued the Georgia State Board of Nurse Examiners to secure the right for African Americans to take the exam. Girl, go on now. 1920, baby. I like that. Look, as a brown woman who's an immigrant into Woo-hoo. the United States and fell into nursing, I I don't think, because I'm not a white person. I mean, on paper, mm-hmm. they make me say I'm a white person. <laughs> and, I'm not a white person. And, and not to say that there's anything wrong with that, but I just know that if it were a different time, I would have struggles that I don't have because of mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. efforts and struggles and, and just total barrier breaking 
uh, right. movements that these women before us have. I'm so grateful. Wow. Yes. Cool, cool, cool. Yes. Um, okay. So what does that bring us to? It's a huge chapter in America, which once again shifted the paradigm of nursing. Mm-hmm. Our first world war, over 22,000 nurses served um, in either the nurses corps of the army, uh, nurses corps of the Navy, or the Red Cross. Wow. So 22,000 nurses. That's a massive number of human world beings. War one. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. At a time where things were, I mean, not as not they like they are today. Oh, no, 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 no. no, no, no. Right. As it's far early as early 1900s. Yeah. Right. Wow. The, the mindsets is we're just coming out of slavery, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, wow. Um, so, and then secondly, the flu pandemic of 1918, mm. right? So this is what uh, some people might consider to be the Spanish flu. Right, right. right. Gotcha. Um, but it didn't come out of Spain. That. You know that, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. well, if just, anybody wants just to. Just like the China virus. Right. Yes. Oh, my God. Well, and it didn't, the China, anyway. So if you guys want to learn all about the Spanish flu, I highly recommend a podcast called This Podcast Will Kill You from Exactly Right. Um, their very first episode five, six years ago is all about the Spanish flu. And they talk about the history of it and what it did socially. And it talks about the nursing and everything. So there's, there's a big piece of the puzzle here that is connected to that podcast. Okay. Highly recommend. Okay. Let me link that in our show notes. Yeah. Okay. uh, The, so it comes out that the Spanish flu was called the Spanish flu because none of the rest of the world that was affected, affected by it was reporting about it because it was thought that if they were to talk about it in the newspapers or let it be known because we're at war right yes so yes. it would make us look weak we look weak oh right so but enemies. the only um journalists that were reporting about this health pandemic was in spain, we're in spain. So, not that it originated from Spain, but they were the only ones who were brave enough to talk about it. So it was called the Spanish flu. Isn't that wild? Anyway, um, I digress. That's all right. (laughs) Thanks for that TED talk. (laughs) And thank you for my night night. So we're we're in 1918. It's the it's the flu pandemic, Spanish flu, and many seasoned quote unquote seasoned nurses were stationed over in Europe taking care of our troops. Right. Um, So at home in the U.S. It was the nursing students wow. who um, bravely, really bravely, frontline. Like think of coronavirus yes. or COVID nineteen. Think and nursing students weren't anywhere near allowed to go uh, by and tend to patients. Now let's flip that on its ear. A deadly pandemic of that nature. Mm-hmm. There are no seasoned nurses here because right. they're all overseas. So you've got these babies yes. out there just diving in and wow. helping people. And they're taking care of um, the, the affirmed, um, infirmed in the hospitals right. and on the front lines of that. So as we're fighting a war overseas, we're also fighting a healthcare war at yes. home. And these nursing students are fighting it. Wow. So an estimated of 675,000, mm. so over half a million Americans died of the flu. And worldwide estimates are over 20 million mm. So, and that's, mm. what year was that? That's in the early 1900s. Yeah. Oh, um, my gosh. And it's, it's just a massive no, a number of lives lost. Yeah. Um, and kudos to the nursing students who put their lives at risk, and I'm yes. sure lost their own lives in, in the meantime. Exactly. Um, wow. Without whom we would not be here. <laughs> right. Um, after the war, the profession grew. More and more schools of nursing emerged. Awesome. So in 1925, the Manhattan Midwifery School 
Love me some midwives. Love. Was the first nerd, nurse midwifery program in the United States. Okay, in 1925. Right? In awesome. 1925. Awesome. Um, so this is a dedicated school that focuses on a particular specialty, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is huge, you know. And since then, oh, we've got so many nursing specialties, but this is our first. Yeah. Right? Oh, awesome. So Mary Breckenridge was a nurse who was devastated by the deaths of her children in 1916 and 18. Mm. So she traveled to Europe and the UK and sought extra training as a midwife. She took her grief and turned it into healing, right? As a nurse does. Like what you were saying, if you're a mother, you're a nurse. Yes. Right? Yes. So she moved to Kentucky, uh, which some say is the actual ground zero for Spanish flu. Oh, interesting. (laughs) She moved to Kentucky and was aware of staggering rates of maternal and infant death Mm -hmm. in the rural area. Mm -hmm. She established the Frontier Nursing Service. I love it. Um, Nurses on horseback. Yes. Yes. With nurse uh, midwives often traveling on horseback Mm -hmm. (laughs) to these underserved areas. Um, The service effectively reduced maternal and infant death rates to below national averages. Awesome. If we I, could see something like that turn around with those numbers again. Yes. Oh, I, amazing. Yes. I would again, love that. So again, like like a Florence Nightingale yes. of her time. Yes. And yes. she, again, just like Florence Nightingale, she was poo-pooed that they were, when she went to Kentucky, mm-hmm. I can't remember if she was from there originally or, or why she actually just moved there. But um, again, all part of the, you know, the Appalachian Mountain region. Yeah. And of course, the men told her, no, you can't possibly nurse these women in the mountains. You can't get to them. Oh. She said, bullshit. Bet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Watch me. Watch Hold me. my rucksack. Give, <laughs> give me some horses. Yeah. And sure enough, yeah. her and her nurse midwife compatriots yeah. got on horseback and traveled the Appalachian Range to you know, reach these women out in these rural areas. I wonder. I just, because I wasn't there. <laughs> I know. It's for all of my anecdotes. This is one place I don't haven't been. <laughs> I just wonder because there's such a rich history in Appalachian cultures mm-hmm. um, that have a lot of um, what we would call like like backwoods, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, witchery or mm-hmm. superstitions mm-hmm. or like, you know, what was one I heard? Don't. Uh, leave out this or if you got to leave out the same door you came in at or else it's it's stuff like that right which ties back into the whole witchcraft thing Mm -hmm. because in these remote areas yes you have to use the environment that's around Mm -hmm. you right so she here she comes with her knowledge and you're not going to be able to carry there i mean they're they weren't wrong with saying you can't help them because right, you can't get Right, because up until then they couldn't. Yes. Right. Because no one had thought, no one was thinking outside the box. Right. So mm-hmm. here she is. I'm going to take my knowledge mm-hmm. and your available resources mm-hmm. and we're going to create some healing. Yes. Nurses and witches. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. On horseback, baby. On horseback. Yes. I'm everything. I'm going to tie it around to witches, whatever we do. <laughs> whatever we do. All right, so let's uh, let's come up now to the 1920s. Um, so let's talk about working conditions. So up until oh the late God. 1920s in in the United States, um, most hospital nurses worked 12 to 24 hour shifts. Oh, what's new? <laughs> 
<laughs> so now there had been some efforts to try and reduce the shifts. Yeah, again, what's new? But these were largely unsuccessful. And what? But, but, so think about it. Late 1920s, though, yeah. Great Depression. Yeah. So the, the government then saw these schemes to try and reduce hours as actually a way to try and increase employment, right? So instead of employing one oh, nurse for a 24-hour wow. shift... They're like, no, 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 we all have all these people out of work. Why don't we shorten the shifts to eight hours? Okay. Boom. Now you've got to hire three people. Oh, wow. Okay, so you understand, you know, it. I see. Yes, yes, I yes. see. It became all part of like a greater, Movement. you know, a welfare. Yes, 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 exactly. Right, so all of these different motivations sort of became entangled. Yes. Ah, uh, yes. The, the vision is becoming clear. So now in 1934 then, again, right right after, you know, 29 was the, uh-huh, the Great Depression. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, okay. So in 34 then, the American Nurses Association actually made a formal recommendation to try and reduce the shift to eight hours. Yes. But, but many hospitals remain opposed to it for decades. And still today. And, and yes, yes. So in 1935, the Social Security Act was passed. Um, and part of that oh. provided funding for training for public health nurses. Amazing. Again, they're, they're thinking of ways to create new yes. jobs for people. Right. So at the same time, the Works Progress Administration, remember that, the WPA? Yes, It was yes. a federal relief program. Yeah, it was part of the New Deal, right? You got it. Yeah. And it so it helped provide work for unemployed nurses as, again, as public health nurses. So they yes. literally created jobs for nurses to, you know, to, to find work. Right, yeah. So these are the nurses that we would hear about back in the day these public health these are the nurses that are going door to door to neighborhoods yes and saying you know what are your needs let me give you some um vaccinations yes. that are available That's exactly let's it. see what's going on let's give you the education let's show you how to restructure your uh habits life yes. habits to prevent illness so you guys can get out there and get to work yes let me check your well water yeah, yeah. You know, yes exactly amazing so you're gonna love this so here's a fun fact <clears throat> Up until 1938, okay, so in the United States, up until 1938, anyone could work as a nurse. Wait, what? Anyone. Even if they didn't have a license, they could work and get paid as a nurse. They simply, the only restriction was they couldn't call themselves a registered nurse. Oh. See the difference? That's why the RN thing is so big. Yes, yes, yes. So we're coming up to that. We're coming up to, again, this whole licensure thing. Because all of what we've been talking about is all these educations and all of these, you know, um, nursing colleges and training colleges and training and then the the licensure. But that was for registered nurses only. Well, we're going to get to that. Okay, 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 okay. Don't don't get ahead of me here. Okay, so up until 1938... Anyone, any, you didn't have to go to the school. You could just simply call yourself a nurse and, you know, work for a family or work in a hospital and get paid as a nurse. Oh, wow. You just couldn't say you were a registered nurse. Interesting. So in 1938, then, New York was the first state to absolutely restrict nursing practice. So you could not get paid to be a nurse without a license. Wow. Okay? Okay. So it created, which at the time it was very controversial, it created two levels of nursing practice. Okay. Practical and registered. Oh, look at that. We've got LPN Mm -hmm. and RN. Yes. Interesting. Way back in 1938. (laughs) All right. So um, now in World War II, the Nurse Training Act of 1943, it was also called the Bolton Act, it provided federal financial aid for nurse training. Mm -hmm. And it also created the United States Cadet Nurse Corps. Oh, 
cool. So student cadet nurses, they weren't required to enter military service after they finished their training, but they were required to spend at least six months working in a healthcare facility. That's a pretty good trade. Yeah. You know, six months of work for, for nurses school? Yeah. That's that, awesome. Do it. <laughs> yep. yep. In 1946, the government then passed the Hill-Burton Act, which paid for construction or renovation of hospitals and public health centers. So at this time, the number of hospital beds in America, it rose significantly. Yeah. Okay, so this is late 40s, early 50s. Okay. This, But this rapid growth of capacity, unfortunately, it happened at the same time that many war nurses quit oh. the workforce to stay at home, right? Because now they're... Their husbands are, you know, so it's yeah. like, ah, oh, so now they got to stay home and raise children because this is yeah. baby boomer time. They're having kids, right? Right. Like, Rosie the Riveter yeah. went back home and got behind the stove. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So that created a very large nursing shortage. Yeah. So in 1948, then, the Exchange Visitor Program allowed foreign nurses to work <gasps> on U.S. soil. Whoa. So that was in 1948. And that was in direct uh, response to that need, you know? Wow. Yeah. This is wild to me because yeah. we can as we're going through our different bits yes and pieces this this these separate puzzle pieces are forming together and you can uh, see them more that as of instead of puzzle pieces you can see them as movements that lead one into the other yes I just, you can feel the momentum. Yes. It's amazing. Okay, so talking about education again. So in 1949, Yale began offering master's degree programs in mental health, mm. public health, mm. and midwifery. Okay. Okay. So that's master's degree in 1949. That's amazing. And then in 1952, the first two-year associate nursing degree program began. <gasps> Oh, wow. So associate degree programs became very popular. And by the yeah. 1980s, they had outpaced everything. They had outpaced the hospital-based diploma programs. Yeah. So, you know, but... And you were a diploma nurse, right? I was, yeah. yes. But honestly, all these different pathways and levels of nursing, mm -hmm. they just confuse the public. They yes. still do. Yes. They still they do, They still right? do, yeah. And it simply fueled the ongoing debate over which type of nurse was appropriate for a particular healthcare setting. I see. And that debate certainly continues Absolutely. to this day, Which for is sure. very unfortunate. It is. It's a quagmire, yeah. and, and I'm not sure of the way out of it. You know, again, just because of all the different pathways. I think I have an idea, but people won't like me. <laughs> we'll put a pin in that. Then. Yeah, we'll put a pin in it. Awesome. We're going to have an episode where it's like the pin popper show. <laughs> <laughs> all these pins, pins. from Podcast 11. Podcast pins. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So on the heels of what you're saying, because we had this great debate, the lessons learned from the Korean War in the early days of the 50s, mm. this is the time where women are going to university get, to get what kind of degree? The MRS. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> so this is amazing. So in those in that time, uh, from the lessons that we've learned from the Korean War in the 1950s with the Mobile Army Surgical Hospital, like MASH, oh, right? Yeah. Do it to me, lips. Pod lips. Pod lips. Yes. Okay. Um, okay, so we've got MASH units and advanced life-saving technology. Mm -hmm. um, this ushered in a new world of nursing. Yeah, it did. So in 1953, the first critical care or intensive care unit, so these are the ICUs that we know of today, okay. right? Okay. Um, they opened in a few hospitals in New England. Mm -hmm. Different than large hospital wards of the past, these new units 
concentrated on a small number of physiological unstable patients. Mm -hmm. So these are your critical care patients. Like we, this is so commonplace to us now. It It is is revolutionary to them back then. But that's not higher acuity. That's not so long ago though. That's the 1950s. Yeah, but we're older. So these like nerds (laughs) in the front here that are babies, they're like this thing in genuine years ago. No, but it's true though. It's true. You know, when you think of old timey nursing, you think of these huge wards, 30 people, 40 people, you know, just huge. Yeah. And the nurse's station is way at the end. Right, right. right. And we're smoking over there and there's no call light and it's just like we're doing rounds and it's still hard work, Mm -hmm. but it's now we've got the foresight to say, okay, let's separate this by acuity. Yes. Right? So we've got higher acuity, smaller number of patients, more concentration of uh, ratios. And better life-saving techniques. Yes, Now yes. we have, you know, ventilators right. and cardiopulmonary resuscitation. Yes, so, so it's a way to conserve life-saving techniques. Yes, yes, so it's a way to conserve all of that technology mm-hmm. to a place where it's pr- predominantly needed. Gotcha. You know, it's yeah. very smart. Yeah, oh, um, yeah. So that's that's interesting that it this came out in the fifties. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And and again with the nurse to patient ratio was much lower than general nursing wards. So mm-hmm. and that's still so shown today. See so your med surge floor mm-hmm. and then your ICU. It's totally two different worlds altogether because they're two different acuity levels. Right. So in nineteen sixty four, the Nurse Training Act helped to increase enrollment in nursing schools and improve the educational structure of nursing. Cool. In 1965, Medicare and Medicaid legislation was enacted, all right, increasing access to health care by the elderly and the poor, yes. all right, and the demand on the hospitals and health care system dramatically increased. Mm-hmm. This is also the year that the first nurse practitioner program was offered in the U.S., 65 65 I mean which I I, when I'm was reading this I was like you you've got to be kidding me wow I couldn't believe I thought the nurse practitioner thing was more recent than that yes I agree you know Um, and I'm sure that there have been advances and changes into the scope Mm -hmm. but still revolutionary at Mm -hmm. the time but it speaks to the need and to how uh, as uh, access to healthcare grows Mm -hmm. and advancements in technology grow and scientific practice grow, the opportunities for different niches and roles in healthcare can be filled by all levels of nursing and uh, providers. So with that, the American Nurses Association published the controversial positional paper on the education of nurses, Mm. recommending two levels of nursing. So this is going back to what you were saying before about the thing, the debate. Uh, There's a technical level, which required a minimum of two-year associate's degree, and a professional level with a minimum of a preparation of a baccalaureate degree. So this is your uh, four-year degree. And in 1965, this really pissed off the 78% of the nurses at the time who were graduates of a diploma Ooh. program. So, and this was in the 60s, right? And you're, wow. and look at how far that's come because it's still happening. Yes. Right? Yes. So you had a diploma degree. I've had an LVN and associates and an RN right, <laughs> with the BSN. Because what, what they're suggesting them, if I'm, if I'm reading this correctly, is they're suggesting that LPNs uh-huh. or LVNs yeah, depending on have the state. an associate's degree. But that's not real. 
But that's what they're suggesting. Yeah, but yeah, well, here's the thing: LVN schools is about a year and a half. Well, accelerated mm-hmm. LVN, it's about two years. Mm-hmm. So anywhere from 18, 14, 12, yeah, fourteen to eighteen months, depending on where you are. So, but that's an accelerated program. So right. all of that education, if you were to parse it out, you know, less insanely, <laughs> it would come out to about two years. Yeah, right. but it's a different type of le- uh, nursing. Mm-hmm. Now, what I noticed bet- with my LVN education mm-hmm. and my associates education, there's honestly no difference from what what my personal experience okay. was okay. now there was a little bit heavier emphasis on to critical thinking but they gave us that in LVN school and they gave it to us in preparation for being an RN but when I got to RN school it was the same thing right yeah it was the exact same yeah so what what my question is and this is a bit of a tangent what is the difference that you can uh, recognize between your diploma training and the years later when you went through your BSN training okay so how many oh. years Yeah, 26 years (laughs) between them, but just a lot more theory. I see. That's all. And leadership training versus uh, practical training or bedside training. Yes, exactly. Was it two years for the diploma program? It was a three-year diploma program. Oh, so kind of like the sweet spot in the middle. Yeah, it was awesome (laughs) because the school that I went to, Altoona Hospital School of Nursing, had a contract with Penn State. Uh So our first year we spent on Penn State um, Altoona campus and also in the hospital. So we'd, you know, learn to make the beds in the hospital, and then we'd go to the um, Penn State campus and learn, you know, microbiology, biology, et cetera. Yeah, all of your didactic courses. Yeah, so it was, was, what a great amalgam of school and hospital, right? Yeah, as it should be. Oh, it was awesome. I absolutely loved my uh, nursing school training. I'm so proud of it. Yeah. Uh, 1994 class of Altoona Hospital School of Nursing. Let's bring us up now. Yes. Because uh, another thing was happening in nursing in the 60s and 70s. Okay. And this is the actual, the disappearance of the nurse's cap. Oh, thank God. Right. Now, let's go back. The the original nurse's cap had actually evolved from the nun's habit. Yes, the sisters, the six sisters. Right, it would have... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it would help, you know, hold their hair back yeah. and, and also identify them. You know, yes. wherever you were, you could tell that they were a nun. And again, same thing. Wherever right. you were, Don't you could tell that a nurse is a nurse when she yeah. has a cap on. So just like the nun's habits, so you could tell what, what church a nun belonged to by the different habit, oh, right? Okay. right. Okay. So nursing schools did the same thing. They adopted different caps. So you could absolutely tell what school a nurse went to just by her cap. No kidding. I did not know about My that. My turn for an anecdote. You're going to love this. I so, love an anecdote. As I said, my mother was a proud graduate of a uh, 1956 graduate of Philadelphia General Hospital. Woo. And so her nursing cap was very unique, Massa. Okay. It, they called it, they they nicknamed it the muffin cap because it looked like a little, like, you know, the paper that goes around a cupcake I'm, or a muffin? I'm looking this up now. Right? Oh my God. Yeah, you have to look this up. Philadelphia General nurse's cap. Get out of here. It looked like a little muffin cap. It was fascinating. Uh, the problem with nursing caps was mm-hmm. was hygiene, yes. right? Because, because they're um, the material of them, you you couldn't just throw them in the wash. You no. couldn't wash them. Um, comfort was also a factor. Yeah. You know, anyone who's worn a bobby pin in their hair knows what I'm talking about. Girl. And then, but another reason we got rid of them also was gender bias. You know, we oh, had male you know, more nurses. men. Yes, more men are entering the field now. It just didn't make sense. Yeah. You know, you don't want to sissy up the boys is what I'm thinking. Or shun them because they can't wear the yes. cap. Yes, you know? okay, so I see. It's, it's just an arcane practice. Yeah. So well, how of... forward thinking the, the mm-hmm. nursing profession has mm-hmm. sort of always been. Yes. 
1971, the Nurse Training Act was expanded to promote expanded roles for nurses, such as nurse mm-hmm. practitioner, mm-hmm. and also to promote racial and gender diversity in nursing. Love it. So this is also the year that Idaho became the first state to expand their Nurse Practice Act to include diagnosis and treatment as part of the scope of practice for advanced practice nurses. You mean? Okay, so this brings us up to like the Vietnam War. Oh, good. Um, over 10,000 American nurses served in the Vietnam War uh, between 1956 and 1975. Um, eight of those women did pay the ultimate sacrifice. Mm. So, But what a difference. So in World War One, it was, what, 20,000? Yeah. 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 Wow, wow, wow. Yeah. Okay, so in Vietnam, um, 10,000 nurses yeah. served. Okay. That's half. Wild. So we're going to talk about the Vietnam conflict now. All right. So we're we're in the 70s. We've got bell bottoms and all kinds of controversial ideas. And Mm -hmm. um, this is like, you know, a very heated time in the world stage. And very very, lots of, you know, and upheaval. Well, it's it's a it's this time where Previously, the sentiments, whenever your country goes to war, you're in support. And, you know, Mm -hmm. we're very uh, patriotic. And now this is a great nationwide dissent against it. So this war is very, very unpopular. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's also, there was also when this um, uh, controversial thing in the 70s also happened, when we call things the uh, classification of the, uh, uh, in nursing diagnosis. Right. Conference on classification in nursing diagnosis. Okay. That's that's where this conference was held during this time. Okay. So you think this is this is the social environment that this conference is being held in. Interesting. So they met annually for um, a decade until 1983 when the official North American Nursing Diagnosis Association or NANDA, as all of high nursing stu- students have been traumatized by. Right. <laughs> this is uh, NANDA was formed during this time and the care planning process also so traumatizing was formulized formula, formulated uh, with mm-hmm. nursing diagnoses. The topic of nursing diagnoses and care planning is very polarizing. If you couldn't tell, <laughs> right? That's how right. I believe. I'm biting my tongue. Yeah. Oh, aren't you so good? <laughs> uh, I cannot. <laughs> and it deserves its own podcast, truly. Yes. Right. And so we can. That's another pin in the in the yes. podcast pinnery. Put a pin on uh, that. So that's that's all I'm going to say. There for that. Um, uh, and sexism, of course, was rampant mm-hmm. in the 70s and still is. And so mm-hmm. um, let me let me just put this in. Uh, picture it. Uh, Sicily. No. <laughs> yeah, picture it. United States, 1977. That's the year I was born. Aww. So in 1977, a bunch of nurses in Denver filed a class action lawsuit against the city and the county. Oh, they argued that male-dominated city uh, positions, such as uh, sign painters, tree trimmers, tire servicemen, uh, received higher-paying starting salaries than their female nurse counterparts. What? Wait, so sign painters you bet. made more than nurses? Tree trimmers, yeah. So these, let's think of it. These are all people who are in public service. So, and, and these are manual labor jobs. Right. Right. And and I don't know how much um, training and education has to go into a sign painter. If you're a sign painter and you do the damn thing, please let me know. I'm not di- dissing on your profession. I just don't know about it. But at the wow. same, at that time, right. a tree trimmer was getting a higher starting pay. A male, let me let me say this, 
I don't know how many female tree trimmers they were at there, but a male tree trimmer uh-huh. starting salary was higher than a nurse, right? I, I don't, I, what? No, yeah, like your brain is mush, my brain so is mush over there. Tell this. me they won then. Clearly so do you they think won. they won? What? They had to have. No. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Uh-huh. So the defendant was quick to point out that the other nurses in the area who didn't work for their city. So these are city nurses, right? Right. Okay. Right. Versus uh, perhaps public health nurses right, or school right, nurses. Right, right. right. So they were so, paid by city and county. Yeah. So those um, other nurses in the area who didn't work for the city were paid same as what the city was paying for the nurses. So and that there was no sex discrimination, no gender discrimination, because at any time they would hire female uh, to work as a sign painter, tree trimmers and try service people for the higher salaries so the male judge ruled the male judge <laughs> ruled in favor of the city because why 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 we're still having this fight today i know but it's just oh i just it just angers me so much. Right, right. Because what was their defense? Well, other nurses in, in, in the industry that aren't in... Yeah. This is all you gals should expect to make. Why why are you trying to cause trouble for your other... This is what the industry standard is. That's why do you think you have amazing. to compare yourself to... If you, guys, if you guys were tree trimmers, then we'd pay you tree trimmer yeah. salary. Come and be sign painters with uh-huh. us and we'll pay you more. So, I mean, that right. just goes to show the kind of, um, mm. for all of the advances for the profession itself, yes. there's still that fight of public opinion and public perception, well, okay. regardless of what our training has to be. Right. So, okay. So this is 1977, you're saying? Re- yes. Which makes perfect sense because I know my mother couldn't open her own bank account. No. Until I think like 1974. Right. You couldn't have a credit card. Right. In, uh, unless your husband. Signed for it. Yes. Yes. You couldn't have anything in your own name. Yes. Oh my. It's making how so far, much sense. How far? 45 now. years later. Wow. How far we've come. Wow. So we could be physicians as women before we could have our own credit card. Wow. Gosh. That female physician that set up the, the army. Yes. <laughs> she couldn't have a bank account. Okay. Not but she own. could go on and be a whole ass doctor. Oh, my God. What? Why are we so stupid? Wow. All right. Anyway, so that's that on that. <laughs> that's the that on that. Um, because of what this male judge ruled in favor of the city, the nurses tried to appeal it to the Supreme Court. What did right? the Supreme Court do? Can you guess? You mean the male Supreme Court? <laughs> uh, obviously. <laughs> I bet they declined to hear it. Did they decline to hear it? Amazing. You bet. Oh, my god. This gosh. isn't even worth hearing about. So, okay, so we were talking about the um, these movements with how healers are all around the world, yes, right? Yes. And how the um, propensity for women to be mm-hmm. the uh, in the forefront of these healing environments and using their their surroundings, their localities to to get the resources that mm-hmm. that will provide for the healthcare needs of their. Um, their little villages and their right. and their people, you know what I mean? Yes. And and so here what's really interesting and that kind of ties also into what we were talking about with that article from Scotland. Mm-hmm. Um of course again, witches. So <laughs> 
<laughs> there's this, what, uh, this is really, really cool. There's this book called Witches, Midwives, and Nurses by Barbara Ehrenreich, I think is how you say it. Okay. Barbara Ehrenreich and Deirdre English. And it was published in 1973. And it oh. talks about, and this is during this second wave of feminism. So yes. think Gloria Steinem and think about like trying to expose all of the ways that a male dominant society yes. has tried to push women to the fringes and overcast the, uh, the advances that we've been making yes. all along and setting the foundation for all of these uh, cultural practices, medicinal practices, healing mm-hmm. practices, mm-hmm. and then uh, and not just with healthcare, but in other areas. But this book in particular is is towards healing, and so it speaks to how the pushing of women out of these arenas also set up the commercial healthcare system as a commodified industry. Right. 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 Um, and yes, so they could make money off of exactly, it. Exactly. Mm. And exploit. And yes. so, and it had a resurgence in 2010. Very interesting. Oh, the, book, I, the book did? The, so yes. It became yes. popular. Oh, it became so popular. Cool. And it was a pamphlet. It's actually a pamphlet. Oh, okay. So okay. you could call it like a very, uh, it's a book. Booklet. Okay. It's a booklet. Okay. Yes. So what was called a pamphlet is like a small book, okay. a thin book. It came out in tw- 1973 and then in 2010 it was republished okay and cool. now it's gained a lot of resurgence and it and it, depending on who's reading it you're going to get a lot of mm. political and theoretical um information healthcare for, uh, reform, uh, information social socio- yes. sociological information and and spiritual for those of awesome. the, if, if it speaks to you on that way okay well I'll, I'll link it in my show notes yes 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 and then and then why don't we do a giveaway you, you know, know in honor of nursing month love it why don't we have a um, so let's do this. The very first person to email me, uh, contact at woundcarekaren.com, uh, mention this episode and ask for a copy of that booklet. I'll be happy to send it to you. I can't wait. Yay. And you know what? And if you want, uh, if you're not one of the first ones, we'll let you know. We'll send you a link on where to get it on Amazon. You can get it for your Kindle or on the paperback. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. There was a big shift in the hospital system in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, up until that time, Medicare and Medicaid funds paid the hospital on a retrospective system. So mm-hmm. like the hospital would render care and then Medicare and Medicaid would provide the funding. Right. Right. So that was like, the system. If a patient's in a hospital at that time, in the 80s, uh-huh. before the 80s, uh-huh. the patient was in the hospital. Whatever that hospital did to the patient, with it, yes. an x-ray, lab work. The hospital surgery. had its free reign to do what it felt right. to it would do. Just they would practice the medicine. Yeah, it would just run up the tab, and then at the end, submit the bill to the, the government. Bill, yes, to Medicare and Medicaid, yes. and, that, and that's how that was paid. Yeah. Right, uh-huh. that's retrospective. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So starting in the 83, a prospective system mm-hmm. uh, was initiated. That's with a flat payment... Mm-hmm. based on, mm-hmm. on patient's diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So uh, no matter how long a patient was in the hospital, whether it's three or 20 days, mm-hmm. if, if it was for a, like CHF, then that was the flat fee that the hospital would get. Right. Right. Um, so they only got that set amount of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was based on a, a list called Diagnostic Related Groups or DRGs. Right. right. And this so. is the system we use today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hospitals who treated patients for less than the reimbursement rate were allowed to keep the extra money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And hospitals actually lost money 
on patients who stayed longer or required extra services during their stay. Mm -hmm. So hospitals quickly adjusted this new scheme by discharging their patients faster. Does this, and what year did this happen? I'm sorry, 83, what year is it now? 2023. So because of that, uh, they did this quick turnover thing and Mm -hmm. this led to several changes. Mm -hmm. A. A higher acuity of patients in the hospital, so only the very sick were still hospitalized, right? right? right. Be a huge growth of LTAX. So what is that? That's the long-term acute care. Okay. okay. So this is like, um, think of it as a giant step-down unit. Right. So, and then we have SNFs, so that's a skilled nursing facility, mm-hmm. right? And that's mm-hmm. what you see a lot, well, when people will say, oh, they sent me to the nursing home, because a lot of nursing homes... They'll have the long-term side where half of the building is for the people who live there. Mm -hmm. And the other half is for the people who um, are not sick enough to stay in the hospital, not sick enough to go to long-term acute care. It's a sub-acute care. But they're not well well enough to go home. They need skilled nursing, but it's like that other step down. So it's the second step down. Yes. Um, So they have the SNFs, Mm -hmm. skilled nursing facility, and then home care services. So these are people who can, are well enough to, be at home but still need some skilled nursing but they don't need that 24 7 skilled nursing attention yeah. so uh the discharge patients just have you know they they have to go somewhere yeah so, so it's, it's either the LTAC system. or sniff uh-huh. or home yes, yes correct correct right. okay and then whatever and so in 87 north dakota became the first state to pass a law that required a bsn so that's a baccalaureate of science in nursing for an rn licensure so oh, wow. it so I, the way i understand this is that uh, in order to be an RN, you have to have a four-year degree. Wow. Um, that's in North Dakota. And then an ADN, so that's the associates for an LPN, so the or licensed practical nurse. So what wow. used to be a two-year degree or mm-hmm. a, a, for a registered nurse is now for a licensed practical nurse. And that uh, law was scrapped, thank oh. God. <laughs> so I scared you for nothing. Yes. So that kind of... <laughs> Um, in 2003, um, and what do we put that up to? A shortage of nurses. Mm-hmm. A shortage of nurses said, you know what? We would love for this training to be real, but sick people are still sick. Interesting. And uh, college is expensive. Thank That's you. That's interesting. Isn't that I, wild? I didn't realize that, because remember, we talked about this. This is exactly what the American Nurses Association had controversially, yes. you know, recommended. Yes. I didn't realize that a state actually went through Yeah, but it. How, how it didn't last. No, it it's can't, very it's not, it's not sustainable yes. in the real world. Exactly. You know, exactly. and uh, I could go on. And <laughs> put a pin in it. Put a pin in it. All right. Well, that brings us up to the 1990s, baby. Woo, Fresh Prince. Woo. <laughs> One of my favorite <laughs> decades. Yes. All right. In 1993, Eddie Bernice Johnson was the first registered nurse elected to Congress. Gone now. And she actually just retired. Just retired in January of 2023. Okay, so from 93 to 2023. Awesome. She's, I love it. She's um, the millennial of Congress nurses. Right? I love it. And she's an African-American woman. She broke she many, many barriers in she, her lifetime. Yes, she did. And um, happy to say there's an elementary school in Dallas that is named after her. Yay! That's so cool. Very cool. You know what else happened in the 90s? Oh my god. Wound Care Karen graduated <gasps> from a diploma program in 1994. Yay. Loved it. And the rest as they say is history. We love that for love her. Love it. And so totally. that brings us up to the 21st century. 
which is no longer history. We're living it. We're making it. We are. So in, what was it, 2020, Wound mm-hmm. Care Karen got her bachelor's then. Yeah, yes, she did. I was 50, 50 years old when I graduated with my bachelor's degree. You don't look a day over <laughs> um, that other. Yeah. <laughs> You you are so hot and so beautiful. This girl has poreless skin, I'm telling oh, you. It's sick. I'm 45 and she looks younger than oh, me. Oh, stop it. Stop I need whatever witchcraft she's putting on her face. There you go. <laughs> Folks, they don't know it, but this episode was sponsored by Sutter Home Wines. In 2003, the Kansas State Nurses Association developed and designed the Nightingale Tribute which is used to honor deceased nurses. So they started the first Nurses Honor Guard. And since that time, there are many more Nurses Honor Guards across the United States. I am a proud founding member of the San Antonio Nurses Honor Guard since 2021. Check out my podcast, episode number 14, for more information on Nurses Honor Guards. All right, so I'd like to make a motion. Mm -hmm. I make a motion that we officially go back to calling ourselves priests and priestesses of Isis. And I second that emotion Yay! and I'll make a potion. Yay! Aye, aye, woo! Okay, the motion carries. Amen. Woo, Matt, thank you so much <laughs> for uh, jumping into the TARDIS with me and woo! going back into nursing history. You bet. It's always such a great time with you oh. and with all of our pins and tangents and... <laughs> God knows what else we get into with the chaos. Yes. I just like being in the TARDIS. It's bigger on the inside. Yes. It is. All right. Folks, this podcast was recorded in my studio on the hill in San Antonio, Texas in May of 2023. It was written and developed by Masa Karazi and Wound Care Karen. And it was edited by Wound Care Karen. And I did it all while getting the pool ready for Memorial Day. The views expressed here belong to me and my guest and not our employer or affiliate. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and give me a five-star review. If you have ideas for future podcast content, please drop me a line at contact at woundcarekaren.com or message me on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. I'm Wound Care Karen, and please remember, folks, time does not heal all wounds. So if that happens to you, please seek help from a wound care professional.